Father, we thank you that you're a great God, that we can sing praises to you, that we can come to a season like this where we give you praise for sending your son the first time, and yet we can look forward and even sing about not just a baby born in a manger, but the lion of the tribe of Judah who will come in the heavens. So we thank you, God, for all that you are and all that you've given in your son. I pray that this morning, that as we open your word, that we would see even a bigger picture of who you are and what you've done, that we'd see the big picture. We love you. We thank you for time and a season. Lord, we thank you for the hope that Christmas brings. Um, Lord, for those that Christmas is just a challenge because they've lost. They've lost someone dear. It recalls memories of yesteryear. Lord, I pray that you would meet them where they're at, that we can too sing that you're still good and you're still great. So Lord, we thank you for time together to gather as the church each week to open your word and to sing your praises in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you and your family, but we watch a lot of movies during Christmas time, mainly because the kids are out of school. So let me ask you a few questions about your movie selection process. What is your movie selection process like in your home? How long, on average, does it take you to decide, when you're having family movie night, to decide on that movie? Have you abandoned the utopian idea that everyone is going to be happy with the, mu- with the movie selection. I will just tell you, it's one of the grumpiest times for me. If you want to see your pastor really grumpy and your, your pastor's family really grumpy, come to my house on a Friday night or sometime we're trying to have this discussion because it goes on and on and on. So much so that the other night I had to confess that I just decided after too long, I just decided what movie we were going to watch. And frankly, what happened was everybody got up and I paid Amazon $4.23 and nobody watched the movie. And when we're in that place, what often goes into my mind, what comes into my mind is yesteryear. Like the the times where I could go to the Blockbuster down the street, get in the car with my keys, go to the Blockbuster, get the one movie, come back home and watch that movie where there's no arguing. And I can return it and we can do it again. Anybody been there? I almost got an amen out of the steel. See, one of the problems for us, I don't know about you, but my wife and I often want to watch an older movie. And if you're on Amazon or Disney Plus, do you know that trailers aren't really trailers for older movies? If there's one at all, what you see is a clip. You see a movie clip of about two minutes of the movie, and your kids are looking around going, I have no idea what this movie is about. And at that point, you have about 10 seconds. You have 10 seconds, maybe, to sell your kids on this movie. Because it's just a movie clip. It's from the middle of a movie, and all you have is you have no sense of the plot or character, but you only have that little, little slice of the movie that gives you no context. Can I tell you, I think we often live our lives like that old movie clip, that trailer that's really not a trailer. We tend to live without much attention to the big picture And we forget we can't look back or can't look forward to really make sense of life. And all we're kind of left with is living in the present tense. And maybe that's because there's a struggle in the present tense. Maybe that's because there's brokenness in the present tense. Maybe because present tense, living life is just going well. So we're not looking back and we're not looking forward. The beauty of Advent 
the first advent is it enables us to kind of see this sign, to look back at what God has done for us. And it's also the beauty of Easter when we look forward to Easter from Christmas because we know that not only has God come near, but God has paved a way for us to know him through his son, through the death and resurrection of his son. It's the beauty of Christmas. It's the beauty of Easter. But one of the things that we don't do in our yearly calendar is look forward from this point. Not to the first advent of Jesus, but to the second advent of Jesus. And so we tend to live in that old movie clip. How often do you look forward? How often do you live with the end in mind? See, the Bible is really clear that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough problems of its own, but it certainly says that we ought to live with eternity in view. So today, I want to look forward from the first advent, the first coming of Jesus, to the second coming of Jesus, because here's the point. Next time will be different. Are you ready? Next time that Jesus comes will be different. Are you ready? I want to show you three ways in which the second advent of Jesus will be different than the first, and then I want to show you three reasons why that's critically important to your life today. Bookmark something for me. Bookmark 2 Peter chapter 3. There's a Bible next to you. 2 Peter chapter 3. End of your Bible, toward the end of your Bible, page 1019 on the Bible next to you. Bookmark that passage. We're going to come back to it and turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. That's about 20 pages later. And all the kids in the room are like, we're going to be in Revelation this morning. We're excited about this. Revelation 19. And we will peruse from Revelation 19 to 22 in that section, we will peruse the perusia, no pun intended, the coming of Jesus. You see, next time will be different first in this way. Next time he won't come in humility, but he will come in power and judgment. That's your first idea this morning. He will, won't come next time in humility to a manger, but in power and judgment. Look at it with me, chapter 19 of Revelation Verse 11, we'll start there and we'll go through 14. Look at this. This is the picture of the second coming of Jesus. See, John is writing, and he's writing from a vision what he sees. And he says this, Then I saw the heavens opened, and behold, a white horse. We've seen a white horse in the book of Revelation before, but this person on this white horse is different. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He's coming different next time. His eyes are like a flame of fire. All the boys in the room are looking at this now. And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. You see images of the Savior now. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Now we know who this man on this white horse is. With fire in his eyes, the word of God, John 1, tells us that this is Jesus. And the armies of heaven, remember in our Advent series, we saw the armies of heaven coming at his first birth to the shepherds. Well, now the armies of heaven, the angel army, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him also on white horses. See, next time he won't come in humility, but in power and judgment you think about the words of Jesus even when you think about the power and judgment in which he would come. Do you remember at the end of Matthew, 
when Jesus has been arrested and he comes before Caiaphas and he's been accused of all these things and one of the questions that they ask in front of Caiaphas is this, are you the Christ, the Son of God and how does Jesus answer? What does he say? He says, you have said so, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of what? Power coming on the clouds of heaven. That's what you see here in the book of Revelation, that Jesus is coming in power and judgment from the clouds of heaven down. Next time will be different. You see, Jesus is not just the son of man, although he is, he's also the son of God. And when you think about the first century, we often think about why in the world did the Jews miss Jesus? Why did they miss the baby born in a manger? Why did they miss him as king? And the human answer to the question is often that they thought that he was gonna come physically to deliver them then. They missed his second coming for, his first coming for his second. And we look at that and we say, man, you totally, the Jews totally missed Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, is that we often miss Jesus in that too. We often want Jesus' power now. We often want Jesus' government, amen, now. And we miss it as well. We wonder where his power is and where his justice is. He shows up in the end in power and judgment. He does this because he's patient. He does this in your life because he's long-suffering. It's not because he's incapable. See, one day he will make all things right. And that speaks into some things in our lives. When you want to take vengeance or I want to take vengeance on someone who has wronged me, that affects your day to day. To know that one day Jesus will come in power. That one day Jesus will come in judgment and he will right size the scales. He will tip the weights to be balanced. So we need not come in vengeance. Jesus one day will not come in humility, but he will come in power and judgment. But that truth infers another truth. Keep looking at the book of Revelation. See, next time, not only will he not come in humility, but power and judgment, he won't come to serve primarily, but he will come to rule and to reign. Jesus will come to rule and to reign, and I'm gonna show you this in Revelation 19 and 20 and 21. Look at verse 15 there in Revelation 19. It says this, from his mouth come a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will what? He will rule them with a rod of iron. Keep looking there in Revelation chapter 20. Flip to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. And then I saw, John says, a great white throne a throne, this is a place of rulership and reign, and him who is seated on it from the presence of earth and the sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing again, where? Before God's throne. And books were opened, then another book was opened in which the book of life and the dead were judged by what is written in the books according to what they had done. I could take weeks We could take weeks and I could walk you through the rule and reign of Jesus. You see it from the beginning of time. You see it from the book of Genesis all the way culminating in the book of Revelation where he does rule and reign. Genesis 49, verse 10. 
It's prophetic of the coming of this ruler who will reign. The scepter will not depart from Judah, the house of Judah. And then you roll forward and you see in 2 Samuel, you see this kingdom that will always have a ruler on it, the ruler Jesus over the kingdom and the house of David. And then you come to the Psalms. If you've ever read Psalm 2, you know that Psalm 2 is about the Lord's anointing, ruling and reigning over the nations. Psalm 2, about verse 7 through 9, speaks of how God has begotten his son and he will rule over all the nations. And then you come later even into the prophets and the promise of the prophets. If you were here for Christmas Eve, Eve, you saw that. You saw in Isaiah 9 that he will be a counselor, that the son will be given as a counselor. He will be given, the son will be born. And then what does it say? And the government will rest on his shoulders. And the increase of his government will have no end. And this is where the Jews missed it because they thought the first time that he would come in power, physical power that way. But we see it in the second coming of Jesus. That his government will always remain. The theocracy of God one day will remain. And then you continue to move forward in the book of Zechariah chapter 14. Write these down if you want. They're on the bottom of your sheet there. Zechariah 14, you see that he's coming, and he's coming to the Mount of Olives to rule and to reign in the new heavens and the new earth. And then you come to the New Testament. You see it with Jesus and what Jesus says about himself. Do you remember the passage in Matthew chapter 19 where Peter is asking, well, what's going to come when the end comes? What's our role? And Jesus speaks up, and he talks about how he will have a glorious throne that he sits on, and they will rule and reign with him. Jesus has been talking about this. The prophets have been talking about this. All the way through the Old Testament, we've seen the future rule and reign of the Christ. And here, you see it. And then in Revelation chapter 12, you see the first advent and the second advent put together in this rule and reign. And it's speaking in verse five, look at it, I think we've got it on the screen. It says this, it's speaking of Mary. She gave birth to a male child. This is the first advent. One who is to what? He's to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's what you see in Revelation 19. That's what you see in the Old Testament in, in, in Psalm chapter two, that he's going to rule the nation. This child, this baby born in a manger one day will rule the nations with a rod of iron as we see in Revelation chapter 19. And 20. That's a lot. See, Jesus isn't just going to come in a manger or as a suffering servant. You see, he's also going to come as your mighty God. He's going to rule and he's going to reign. Let me ask you a question, especially in the culture that we live in right now. What is the picture in your mind of Jesus? Is it just the baby in a manger? Is it just the gentle and lowly, no pun intended, we're going through this book about how Jesus and his humanity is gentle and lowly. Is it just that? Is it just the baby in the manger? Is it just the meek and the mild? Is it just the humility, just the servant? Or is it also the one who will rule and the one who will reign? We've gotta have both pictures of Jesus. And men, this is really important. What's your picture of Jesus if your picture of Jesus in this emasculine, feministic culture, I'm sorry, is just that picture, you're missing the rest of the boat. 
Just this emotional, hyper-emotional, gentle and lowly Jesus that's approachable, which he is. Listen, you're missing the rest of the picture. Jesus is your example, men. He's an example of who you ought to be, the example that we have, who is both a servant and a lover and tender and careful. And he is also king and warrior. What is your picture of Jesus? I can promise you this. The women in the room, if they asked, if I asked them the question, what is the ideal man? Careful, ladies. What's the ideal man? I'm going to assume that they're going to say a few things. Humble, gentle, sensitive, tender. But they're also likely going to say strong, responsible, hardworking, protector, provider, leader. They're going to say those things too. They ought to. See, Jesus is the perfect picture of men, what we ought to look like. One guy said it this way, a real man who is one who rejects passivity, meaning you move into that thing you don't want to move into. A real man also takes responsibility. They move out of the house before they're 35, and they lead courageously. They push into places they don't want to go and does not abdicate the responsibility. See, Jesus, men, is our example. He comes the second time, not just to serve, but to rule and to reign. See, next time he will rule and reign with power and authority and justice, but there's something else here that we see as well as we look at the book of Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 22, and I want to show you this. See, next time we won't embrace him merely by faith, which is the way in which we come to God. We've been learning in Romans. We come to to God through Christ, by faith. What we're counting on is Christ. We can't see him, but we're counting on him to forgive us of our sins. That's the truth of the gospel. But we won't simply embrace him in the end by faith, but by sight. Won't that be a glorious day when you see Jesus face to face? Notice the language that John uses in these texts, and I saw. And I saw the white horse, and I saw the great white throne, and I saw the new heavens and the new earth. Look at it in chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. And the angel showed me, this is John seeing it, picture this, this is heaven, this is the new heavens and the new earth, picture this city of heaven. The river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street, of the city, also on either side of the river, river, the tree of life. So you see a return of the tree of life, of restoration, full restoration, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Look at this. No longer will there be anything accursed. Praise God. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And here it is. And the servants will worship him, and they will do what? They will see him face to face. One day you will see him face to face and his name will be one on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord will be their light. Their sight will be the Lord himself. That's amazing. And they will reign forever and ever. See, next time we won't just embrace him by faith, but we will finally embrace him by sight. We will see him We will worship him 
will be before the throne. Picture that. Picture a throne with the lamb on it and a river flowing down the middle of the street with the tree of life on both sides and worshiping by sight the lamb of God. That's the new heavens. That's the new earth. That's different. You see, next time he won't come in obscurity. He won't come in a manger near Bethlehem to shepherds. He won't come speaking in parables where people have to figure it out. He won't come where people have to put faith in him, even though that's the condition for us. Blessed are those who believe and don't see, but we will see him face to face. We will see him with our eyes because he illumines sight for us. See, next time he won't come in obscurity, but he will come for all to see. And I think this presses into something for you and me. It presses into our doubts. I don't know an honest Christian that doesn't look at the gospel and the truth of God's word in a virgin birth, God, man, the Bible, which is human authorship and divine authorship, a trinity, all the things of the Bible, I don't know anybody who doesn't look at these things and go, I can't see it. Sometimes I need some help. This presses into your doubts. It presses into your doubts. Listen, faith is not without reason. It's just beyond reason. Faith is reasonable to understand that what God has done and believe by faith in him, that's reasonable, but it goes beyond reason. And so it presses into our doubts and even the need to deconstruct, if you will, because one day, all those things that you've been trusting in and having faith in, you will see. You will see Jesus face to face. What a glorious day that will be. One day, our doubts even will be gone. But maybe you say, so what? Okay, the first Advent that we've been celebrating for the last few weeks or maybe the last month is different. It's different, so what? Why does that matter for my life today? I'm glad you asked. Turn with me from Revelation back to 2 Peter chapter three and I wanna show you why it's different and why it matters. See, the people in 2 Peter that Peter was writing to in his day, they were beginning to be persecuted. They were beginning to go through trials because of their faith, and Paul was trying to encourage them. He's trying to encourage them in chapter 3 by speaking to them about the day of the Lord that would come. And so when you get to verse 11 through 14, he's giving some application. And this is the application that I want to leave you with this morning as well. Why does it matter? So what? That he's coming again. What does that have to do with my today? What does it have to do with my 2022 goals that I'm setting for myself for next year? What does it have to do with my future? Here's what Peter says. Verse 11. He's been speaking about the day of the Lord coming, the second coming. Since all these things, in the new heavens and the new earth, since all these things are going to be dissolved, he's talking about the earth. Everything will be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt 
as they burn, but according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be what? Be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish. Listen, your first, one of your first applications to the second advent is this. You need to live now with eternity in view. Why? Because it's all going to burn. Sorry, kids, all those Christmas gifts that you just got yesterday, you're not going to remember them next Christmas, first of all. But guess what? It's all going to burn. Everything. This is what this text is saying. The present world, it's all going to burn. It's all going to go away. And not just your gifts, your house, your car, that beautiful view that you have on the land that you have, all of it is going to go away. That ought to affect the way that we live now. Listen, for some of you who like to invest money in, in different companies, if there's a tech company, I'll give you an example. If there's a tech company that you're thinking about investing in, and six months from now, you know, you find out that that thing's going under. Somehow you look to the future and you know it will go under. Are you going to invest in that still? Or are you going to change the way that you invest? I can't help but think of Back to the Future 2. In the second Back to the Future, what happens? He comes out, and he comes out to uh, the middle of the city, and he sees that the Cubs win the World Series. And the Cubs have, I guess, since now. But since that was our... And then he goes and gets the what? The sports almanac. So that when he goes back to the past, he can look forward and he can bet on the right things. Who wouldn't invest on the future in that way? If they knew what was happening in the future, you and I know. You and I know what's going to happen. We know that he wins. We know that all this burns up. And so maybe that ought to affect what you invest in and what your life looks like today. You see, we live now with eternity in view we got to stop living like the old movie clip in the present tense, making decisions about our stuff for now. We need to enjoy what God has given us. Ecclesiastes is really clear. Enjoy what you have. There's, this, there's a difference in enjoying what you have and investing in what will last and what will matter. So are you investing in things that will last? Or are you investing your time and energy and money in things that will burn away? Any kids y'all ready to go give up your gifts yet? I don't think so. And what matters? Look at it here. It says holiness and godliness matter today. That's something to invest in today. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 16. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You can gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. What are you investing in? Look at verse 12 there. There's something else. The word hastening. Hastening. It kind of has this idea. If, you read, if you're reading that verse, you're going, wait, awaiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God. Listen, and God's, this is kind of hard to work out, but here's the thing. Here's what it's saying. It's saying God is sovereign and providential over all things. And he's going to work his plan according to his purpose to the end. But somehow, someway, in his sovereign, providential plan, we hastening the coming of the Lord. Meaning, get to work. In some way or another, his sovereign plans involve you, involve ambassadors for Christ, involve people pursuing his kingdom work. So your second thought is this. We need to get to work while we wait. We need to get to work while we wait. 
Don't be lazy or passive waiting for the kingdom, collecting seashells, as John Piper would say. We need to be about the kingdom, his kingdom come. How do you do that? The other day, I was over at Under Over Fellowship. It's a church in Conroe. Anybody know Jerry Vineyard? I've been here a couple years. It's a ministry that our church supports over in Conroe. And I spent, really the first time I had spent any time with Jerry was last week. We were dropping off a washing machine, and he showed us and gave us the tour of Under Over Fellowship. Man, that, per, that guy is all about kingdom work. He's all about caring for the poor in his community in the name of Jesus, sharing the gospel with these men and women who need Christ. And they've got more things going over there. I, I, it made my head spin how many things that they do to try to bring people in who need Jesus. They've got a medical clinic. They've got food. They've got counseling. They've got all kinds of different things. They were here a few weeks ago with some of the things that they build. This guy was all about the kingdom. He was all about investing now for the future, and I left convicted, honestly. I left convicted because I thought, this guy is actively waiting. He is actively pursuing the kingdom. He is putting the gospel before all these people and meeting their needs where they're at. Are you actively waiting? Are you getting to work? What does next year look like for you? On your goals next year, on your New Year's resolutions, one thing that ought to be there is how am I participating in kingdom work? How am I investing in eternity now? We need to get to work. And last, look at verse 13. The third thing I would say to you is this, the application to living now in view of the second advent. We need to embrace God's joyous promise now. Look at it. Verse 13, he says this. The heavens will be on fire and the heavenly bodies will melt and burn. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. So be diligent. We can embrace the future promise now. See, what comes after the dumpster fire that I was talking about? What comes after everything is burned up? A new heavens and a new earth. A new heavens and a new earth where there's no more sin and no more pain and no more sorrow. And Revelation 22 says that he's making all things new. That's the promise that you get to look forward to. That's the promise you get to look forward to on a good day or a really bad day. That he's going to make all things right. And even when your day is going good, I can promise you this. The future hope is better than whatever you're hoping and having joy and happiness in now. And so let's actively embrace God's joyous promise now. You know, I talked about old movie clips and how we often live our lives like that. The flip side is there's a beauty to the movie trailer. Like that's one of the greatest inventions, especially if you're trying to get through a movie or pick a movie under an hour with your family. The movie trailer, because what does the movie trailer, a good movie trailer do? It shows you the big picture. It shows you the plot. It shows you the character. It teases you into the movie. The good movie trailer helps you pl press play. Can I tell you the second advent is like the ultimate movie trailer. And we have God's word and we need to pl press play often. 
because we often have like amnesia because we just look at the present and our present struggle and our present joys and we need to continue to push play on the second advent of Jesus. The second advent is this ultimate trailer that we need to continue to watch over and over again because it helps us live in a brand new way and it helps us live instead of like this, like this to see that Jesus has not only come in a manger and died on a cross, but he's coming again. He's coming in power and judgment. He's coming to rule and to reign and we will see him face to face in the new heavens and the new earth where there is no more pain and no more sorrow and we will worship him and know him. Listen, the second advent of Jesus assures you of some things. It assures you that Jesus is gonna fix the broken things in your life. It tells you to live today with God's sure promises in mind. It preaches to you and to me the importance of living diligent lives, pursuing godliness and holiness. And it promises you an end that's more glorious than anything that you can hope for under a Christmas tree. Your takeaway today is this. You need to live, we need to live with eternity in view. We need to keep watching the ultimate movie trailer and the second coming of Jesus and live in view of eternity today. God bless you. Let me pray.